With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! You don't like that? You don't like NBA basketball! Hello, welcome to another episode of All Nat, brought to you by OTS. I am your host, Natalie, but most people call me Nat, and ooh, today is going to be so exciting. I have the men behind the official Golden State Warriors subreddit account on Twitter. And if you follow them, first of all, I don't understand how you can be a Golden State Warriors fan and not be following that account, but they have so much information. I learned so much from them and they blessed me with being on the show today. So thank you so much guys for joining me. Um, First, I really, I, I don't know who wants to talk first, but I have with me Meds and, and Perks. So welcome to the show. Thank you for, for joining me. Thank you for having us. We appreciate being here. Yeah, thanks for having <laughs> us in. Excited to chat chat hoops. Yes, definitely. All right. So uh, we're recording it Sunday night. Um, some good games coming up this week, but some news just dropped about Andrew Wiggins going into protocol. So that's now the second Golden State Warrior to go in the health and safety protocols. Um, two <laughs> of our three leading scorers now on the team and one of mm-hmm. our key defensive guys. So lots to break down. Um, we're going to talk about a lot this um, a lot a lot regarding all the games this week. So we have the Kings, um, who also have several players in, in health and safety protocols. Uh, and then we're also going to be uh, talking about the Grizzlies, who, I don't know, do they have any players in protocols? Do you guys know? Check right now. Okay. That's a good question. Of so note, per- though, the, the Kings just dispatched the Spurs. Um, Did they? Who took down the dubs. Yeah, they beat them 121 to 114. Yeah, with their, because they had, they had to call a bunch of G League guys up, right? Like, is Fox back yet? uh he is not he did not play yeah i didn't think so i mean they don't have that many guys i don't even know why that game is still continuing you could say that about a lot of games in the nba right now yeah Yeah, but they canceled they canceled all the nets games today Mm -hmm. and uh well not all but you get what i'm saying so they canceled the hawks game they canceled a number of games today and they even canceled a game that was set for tuesday so i'm like why can't this king's game get canceled yeah the kings have six players in health and safety protocols that's what i see in the latest injury report so mm-hmm. okay so yeah so we have the kings up next um who's out because that'll help us know like who's gonna even be playing i don't yeah, know so, if anyone gets back by tomorrow so in health and safety protocols it's uh fox terrence davis uh marvin bagley alex Len. Uh, Davion Mitchell and then uh, Raquan Holmes has the the right eye injury, so I think they have seven guys total. So really, two key guys: Davion and um, Fox, right? Um, So I mean, what what do you guys expect that to look like? Now it's going to be no Andrew, no Pool, so you're going to have Steph and Dre. 
um, who do you think will get the starting spot in place of Poole? I know last game Kerr went with uh, uh, Moody. Uh, I don't know if he's going to try that experiment again. Lee hasn't been playing that well, but we will be back at home. So maybe, I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, let's start with that. Who do you guys think will will get the starting spot? That's a good question. Uh, we, I was rapping on Twitter with Marcus Thompson about uh, starting lineups for this last game. Now look at and you I think just the big, flexing. The big balance is finding like um, like when you're playing the rooks, like you can't play too many of them at one time. So like it made sense, I think, for Moody to get the nod in Poole's absence. But given that Poole and Wiggins are out, I think that Jana brings more to the table than Moody does. So I'm expecting to see uh, like a lineup that would probably be Steph, Lee, Kuminga, Draymond, and Looney. That's what I expect to see. But so I was going to ask though. about Kuminga because he's been great. And he... Yeah, Perks, what do you think? I mean, my only thing, is that enough spacing? Like, you essentially have three guys aren't really going to shoot the three ball that well. Like, you have, like, Kuminga knock down a couple, and, like, he has to make it rain, bit. bro. I mean, yes. But they're not, like, they're, they're not going to win that game threat. with, I yeah. mean, who else are you going to put in? I mean, Otto for one of them. I mean, I don't know yeah. if they want Otto playing big minutes. Though. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like, who else? Like, the only other shooters on the team are Otto and, and Bielitsa. I don't know. I mean, I feel like with Wiggins and Poole both out, maybe they just do Lee and Moody because, like, that's – I mean, I know both of them haven't been playing that well offensively and hitting their shots, but, like, that's your 3 and D guy. Well, I mean, I, I, Lee's all right defensively, but that's basically, like, the two shooting wings you have that you can put out there. That's not, like, Porter. He's, you know, he has limited minutes for a reason because um, of, you know, health. I like Lee and Kaminga. I don't think I love Moody, mm -hmm. but – yeah, I mean, interesting. I can see that too. Like watching, because I mean, like, we've we've watched a little bit of both of these guys playing G League ball too, and like I would say, like Kuminga came out the gates like running full speed. Like he's coming downhill, he's making offense happen, and and Moody looked a little more sluggish initially, and he actually had me kind of questioning like, what is it that like why why were we talking like this guy was so NBA ready? And then he kind of like turned the corner the next game out and dropped like 30 points or something. Like I was like, oh shit, okay. Like he, he can get it going for sure. Um I don't think either of them is a bad option. Like they're they can both hoop, like for for sure they can. Um I mean they're both gonna see reps in this game regardless yeah. down, right? These players. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Chios is gonna see minutes. Are we gonna see evil stuff? <laughs> Evil set. Is that how I pronounce his name? Chioza, is that correct? Yeah, I think I so. I want to say so, yeah. Yeah, that's what I've been calling him. Good yeah, I don't I don't love him out there, but I mean we don't really have much of a choice, I suppose. Um, I mean I, I feel like he's fine for what he is. Like he's he's a good passer. You know, he'll get in, he'll you know, dribble penetrate, driving kick, he'll make things happen. But obviously he leaves some room to be desired in other areas, especially yeah. defensively. I wouldn't mind if, you know, GP2 played a little bit more. I was actually thinking about the fact that Definitely. I feel like they use Peyton a bit too much as an off guard. Like, I know he's not a traditional point guard, but for I think anyone who watched his games in the summer league, like, you can put the ball in his hands and he can make some plays. Like, he's not a bad passer. You know, he can drive and kick as well. So I wouldn't mind seeing him get a bit more on-ball reps as opposed to, like, giving Chiosa more minutes than him. Which I mean, I GB2 does so much things better in other areas defensively, cutting, you know, being a vertical spacer. Like, take advantage of that and like use him a little bit more than Chiosa, I would say, even in pulls absent. But, shouldn't shouldn't Steph be a little bit more on ball in this kind of game? Yeah, yeah. I mean, will Kerr do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a question. <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I did uh recently post some stats where um. Like for points per possession, uh, Steph's been doing really well in isolation, but he's been doing um, a little bit less. I actually, Marcus Thompson actually made that point that um, uh, Looney has had more field goals attempted through cutting than Steph has through isolation, which is probably an area they can you know improve on moving forward offensively. 
Right. What's going on with, I, I, I know I'm a little all over the place, but we're talking about stuff and we're talking about him in isolation, but I'm just wondering what's going on with his um, finishing around the rim mm. and just like his two pointers in general, like missing miss laps. <laughs> I'm seeing wild tapes, <laughs> you know, someone's like, oh, when are we going to talk about the fact that he doesn't have any lift? And I'm like, I'm not seeing that. I'm just seeing him miss <laughs> like yeah. right at the rim. He's getting up there. So, I mean, his touch is a little off. I don't expect it to like last throughout the whole season, but is there anything that you're seeing or noticing why you think it's happening or? I don't think so. I think it's just like a couple bits of bad luck all pieced together. Like, I think that uh, even if you watch his body language, like there was a notable missed layup, like he created space and went up with his left hand and just like blatantly missed like un undefended and he kind of stopped and like looked at his hand like what the hell like right. what happened there and it's like i think if there was something to it if he had an injury that he was masking or something like that he wouldn't look so surprised or like disappointed when he missed that shot so just like reading between the lines some of that body language makes me feel like it's just bad luck and statistically he's gonna continue to be who he is it's like that's not something that's on my radar that I'm really worried about moving right. forward I certainly didn't think it was injury but I was just wondering if you give any credence to people who think like it's the beginning of his decline and nah. you know <laughs> I mean he's yeah. coming off his best season right like last yeah. year like one thing I did see like discussion wise among fans is that I, I haven't looked at the numbers but that Steph hasn't really been taking advantage of the mid-range game as much yeah so like when defenders you know get him off the three-point line more often than not he's going to the rim right so they kind of are anticipating okay Steph's trying to go for a layup let me see if you know I can get a piece on that or like make it tough on him so maybe there is room for him to you know maybe pull up a bit more and take advantage of the mid-range to see this is kind of you know will soften up yeah no that's a good point that's a good point I definitely agree with that so I mean what are we looking at here? Because the last game, the Kings games, they're another matchup to me, like the Celtics. Like, those games are always good. Like, they're always close. They're always good. Now, I don't know if Davion Mitchell's going to be back, so he definitely won't be there hounding Steph. Um, but what, what do you expect that matchup now to look like with so many of their players out and who even knows yet we won't know if we have all our guys there could be more yeah, announcements tomorrow totally so different. i mean assuming right now the information we have that's all we can talk about so what, what are you expecting i was just pulling up uh before we hop on that like trying to look at the head-to-head -head matchups okay that the kings and the warriors have had like recently and it's kind of a mix like uh on october 24 it's like warriors won by 12 points uh 119 to 107 but the kings torched us at the end of the last year 141 to 119 it's kind of interesting who is their leading scorer right now is it halliburton is it barnes yeah i got that up um let me see it's uh, De'Aaron Fox is averaging 21 points a game. Right, but I mean with him out, like... Oh, yeah. Uh, Barnes is making 17.6 points a game. Okay. Yeah, he's playing 33 minutes a game. And Warriors they... legend. <laughs> Barnes. I'll take credit and I... for that. You know, I'm curious because I'm sure you guys saw the early discussions about Andrew Wiggins. No one's really requesting that he be traded anymore, but... Barnes was a name that came up a lot. People were like, you get Harrison Barnes back and blah, 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 blah. But just in terms of like fit on this squad and knowing what Barnes looked like before on the team and now, who do you think is the better fit? Like in theory, if they were able to get Barnes, who do you guys think is the better fit? Harrison Barnes or Andrew Wiggins? I feel like it's hard to say without knowing what Clay looks like. Because... um. Okay. Like I consider a Wiggins to be like a two three, like a shooting out smart forward, whereas you know Barnes is like a three four. So I feel like in the death lineup, he kind of fills that power four spot next to Draymond. Whereas I mean, you can play Wiggins as a four, but like he's more naturally a three. Right. So like I guess it kind of depends what the rest of the death lineup looks like next to them. Like if you have Steph, Poole, uh, you know Clay being Clay, 
And then maybe HB slides a little bit better at that four spot next to Draymond Wiggins. You think Poole is going to be out there for the tough lineup? In closing lineups? I mean... Sometimes, but I that's going to be a small it, it lineup. It depends. It depends. I mean, he's he's their second like most dynamic creator right now. So I feel like you kind of have to have him out there, especially like if you're in like the clutches of a game and you need buckets. Like you can't just have Steph trying to like create stuff. Like you need someone out there because of the help. Agreed. But Curve favors defense, right? Yeah, and so... Sure. I mean, if if they have the lead in situations like they're up two or three, then I could see like GB two in there for defense because like I mean he's gonna you know shut down whoever like he's guarding. But I mean if they're like chasing it, I feel like and if Pool's like having a good game, like you know they kind of yo-yo pool depending on how he's looking. But if he's having a good game, he should definitely be out. I was thinking Otto might be out there sometime. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Otto definitely. Uh, we've already seen some closing lineups with Otto out there playing kind of as like the four, five, I guess. I don't know. I was uh, thinking offense. he'd be yeah. the four and Dre would be the five and then yeah, Clyde Wiggins over to the three and half play it too. Yeah, I mean, that that's also, I think, something we've seen them do and can definitely work, especially like when Pool Pool kind of has like nights where, you know, like he's he's hitting it or it's like, no, just pull him, pull him early. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I love him, but he's still, you know, he's still trying to find like that consistency right. in his game. I think honestly that when Clay comes back and he he's consistently like coming off the bench, I think you probably will see him be a little bit more consistent because it looks mm -hmm. like when Steph isn't out there and he gets to like kind of yeah. just be out there alone, he looks a little bit more comfortable in my opinion. Yeah, and I think like when Poole's running the second unit, he's like running it. Like he's the one who's kind of like initiating and creating. And I think for him, he plays the best when it's like a balance of him making plays for others and for himself. And when right. he's in with the starters, it's like Draymond handles the ball, Steph handles the ball, like Poole handles a little bit, but he's not like the primary like creator as much. And I think that's why sometimes he goes too, he leans towards too much towards shooting. And if, if he's not making them, then like, he kind of gets stuck in, a, in like a poor rhythm. So yeah, I, I would agree that I think when Clay gets back and Pool, you know, goes back into the second unit, that we should see a little bit more consistency in that area of filming. We're gonna see Wiseman coming back and playing in that second unit with um Pool. Uh, I mean, I I feel like it's it's tough to say because we don't even know when Wiseman's gonna come back. Like, I mean, Kerr kind of said recently. Well, he didn't explicitly say but the, the messaging has been we're not seeing him until 2022 right so i mean we're gonna we're gonna have you know clay's gonna come back first and then that's obviously gonna be a huge thing and we'll be talking about that for a while and then we'll see you know what happens with wiseman i would expect that he comes into like some sort of like 10 15 minute role in the second unit like obviously they're gonna ramp it up as he comes back but i would expect him to get some rotation minutes just off the bat and then based on that kind of it'll like slide up and down like with how he's performing would be my do you, do you think but, he'll start in santa cruz before he comes straight up i would not expect him to play a game in santa cruz yeah. um i i don't think that happens but i mean we'll see he he, he yeah. is open to it i mean when they asked him about it he said he would be but yeah, yeah. that i wouldn't expect that to happen. i don't have like uh no there's no inside information uh, that I have, but just my gut is telling me that we're not going to see James Wiseman play in the NBA until early March. That's my guess. Really? Um, Why? That, that puts him at like the, so for, for his type of injury, for the meniscus repair, it's usually like a seven to nine month time frame. Right. So um, would nine months be January? I think that nine months would probably put him right at about the beginning of February, end of January, beginning of February. And then I think that it'll be a matter of conditioning, getting him up to, to game speed. It's a tricky, um, it's a tricky situation as far as like rehab and um, getting your conditioning back up. So with an injury like that, like structurally, he may be normal or returns to normal, but you need to get him ramped back up so that he is using proper body mechanics at like at the full amount of minutes that you want him to be playing at. Otherwise he'll be, he will be like subconsciously tempted to perform in a way that he's used to and put stress on surrounding structures, which would like proceed like knee inflammation or swelling to the surrounding areas, the soft tissue injuries. So I think that uh, it'll be important for them to see, Hey, we got to get him back up to a place where he can comfortably play 
25, 35 minutes without um, like pushing himself to do stuff that he probably shouldn't be doing. And especially if they're winning, I don't, I don't think that there's any reason to, to kind of mess with that. But if you wait too long on the back end, once things are structurally sound, lazy is not the right term, but like you, you start losing your conditioning, you get further away from where you need to be. Um, so that's why I was thinking that Santa Cruz might be an option, but I, I don't know. I, I, I might just be way off base with that. I forgot that we have someone who has a medical acumen here. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, so I, I do work in the hospital. I am a nurse, but, uh, I, I spent, um, time talking with, uh, Dr. Nirav Prandia, who's really active on Twitter too. Yeah. And, uh, he took some time. It was really generous of him to help me understand, uh, more about these orthopedic injuries. So, okay. Um, shout so out Warriors him. fans should not be alarmed because this is like a typical time frame. Like, it's, Oh, for sure. Because I for think sure. everyone started getting scared when like they heard like, Oh, it's later for Wiseman or no, no timetable for return. And they're just like, Oh, yeah. you know, and I know everyone's just anxious, but it does seem that this, he's just following the normal timeline. For sure. So what's really tricky about that, and this is this was new learning for me, which I thought was really interesting, is sort of like with a meniscus injury, there is no um, like the evaluation of readiness to return to play is heavily dependent on how a player feels, how an athlete feels. So there's no like CT or MRI that you can perform that you will look in the knee and be like, hey, look, that structure is solid and back to normal because there have there has been like inflammation and changes to that area that will forever look deviated from the normal. So even once it's healed, you can't look back in and be like, oh, hey, look, like it's it looks like a pre-injury MRI at this point that that doesn't exist. So it's really dependent on the time frame that we know it takes for players to heal and then how they feel as they recover. So like uh, like Wiseman could start playing at seven months and he might be ready, like his knee might be ready to do that. But if he did play at seven months and was not ready, the, like him knowing that that was the case would be like he might get swelling there or tenderness in the surrounding structures. And that would, that would create a setback. Okay. So it's a situation where I, I would guess, and this is all guessing because we don't know his physicians or, you know, it's been so silent about what's going on with him. And, uh, my guess is that it's silent because there's probably not a whole lot to report given that we are winning and they don't need to push him back to maintain a record. I think that when they evaluate that knee and that time frame, they're, they're saying, Hey, there's no real benefit to try and catch the front end of that, um, of that window. Cause if he does swell, then suddenly we're, we're waiting, we're tacking extra weeks on at the end of that, where instead, if you just wait to the back end of that time frame that we know, by like analyzing large numbers of sports players that have had this injury over time, you say, Hey, if you wait till about that nine month mark, assuredly he should be ready. Like that gives him the best chance um, to you. be, to be ready. But if you start creeping beyond that, cause you'll see people say like, why even bring him back at all this year? It's like, well, if you let him lose all his conditioning, then it's just going to take way longer. Like there's no, there's no right. benefit to going 10, 11, 12 months. Like he's not going to be, more healed or more ready it will actually bring him further away from getting back on the on the court so my guess is that they've looked at that nine month window and they've seen how well the team is doing and they're saying hey i i would bet that they have a like a timeline set out already um unless there has been some setback that we that we don't understand because it's always possible that he could have tweaked it in the weight room or or jumping or something like that. And he could have some tenderness, but uh, we don't have any reason to think that that's happened. So if that's the case, let's just assume that's true. You've heard a lot of talk about, I'm sure you see it on the timeline, um, that one of our biggest, biggest weaknesses is um, interior defense, right? So, um, and there probably would have been limits to what Wiseman could even do even if he came back this year so do you guys see the team picking up someone um before the trade deadline do you think they need to pick up someone before the trade deadline is there someone they can pick up before the trade deadline or by the trade that 
deadline? I mean, I would say I would be very surprised if the roster we have today is not the roster we end the season with. Um, maybe I could see them at some point dropping Chiosa if like someone in the G League is like really impressing them just to take advantage of uh, you know having them on a two way contract and having that you know um, exclusive rights to them. But even that, I wouldn't be confident in. Um, you can just look, you know, to the past dynasty teams. Not saying it's a dynasty team, but it's a contending team. The Warriors don't make moves midseason. They don't. They don't make trades. They don't even really make signings. It's not. They don't have roster space to even make signings. Like Gary Payton and Damian Lee. That's your two partially guaranteed guys. Neither of them are getting cut, especially not GB two. I know Lee's struggling, but they still value him. He's not going anywhere. So there just isn't room um, to do anything really. And and trade wise, like Looney's your tradable salary. Everyone else is pretty much Don't close to minimum bro. level. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Um, I mean, and Lady's they're not, not gonna, going nowhere. Not, I mean, he's not. I'm just saying that, like, yeah, of no, the movable salary, that's what you have. Everyone else is close to minimum level, mm-hmm. uh, other than the rookies, but they're not moving the rookies for, you know, anyone that's not, like, a top 15 guy. And no top 15 guy is going to be available midseason. So I don't, I don't see anything happening, to be honest. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So this is the squad. So with that in mind, how much of a weakness do you think the interior defense is? Um, I think it's as much of a weakness as um, you don't play Draymond. Because, I mean, uh-huh. yes, you don't have size, but, like, Draymond is Draymond. Like, you put him at the yeah, five, yeah. he will lock up anyone. It don't matter. So, like, yeah, I mean, when you play, you know, regular season games against, like, Gobert with Looney starting, I love Looney, but, you know, uh-huh. he's not going to out-rebound Gobert. Most of the time, but I mean, in crunch time, you're playing Draymond, and like he's gonna get shit done. So like, it, I I understand the concern. I do think it's, but I would say it's a regular season concern because I mean, in the playoffs when it matters, like Draymond's playing at the five, and like yeah, yeah he's I actually like he'll do. I have some concerns. Uh, contrary to that, the opposite. I feel like game to game in the regular season, it's less likely that we get exposed for having. Uh, like a softer compared I mean keep in mind we're the number one defense in the league right so like we're having a conversation about how we might have defensive (laughs) problems which is kind of a funny thing to discuss so like let's take a second to just acknowledge the Warriors are the best defensive team in basketball right um like in because of Draymond Green right like he's the DPOI um I think that game to game it's not going to be a problem where I think we run into trouble is if we end up banging against Gobert in a seven series like at the in the second round of the playoffs or whatever like that's going to be physically taxing over time and i think that's where we where we run into problems but then if we discuss like what does a trade look like who are we realistically not even discussing salary or who we dump like who's out there that we could bring in that is going to be able to contend with with uh gobert over time and even when we discuss uh like perks you were talking like g league like theoretically let's say we have an injury or there's we're on a shortage of big men is is jordan bell two-way eligible still like could we do that no okay so like he can't even really come up we'd have to let someone go like but someone like that for example like is he going to come in and give you valuable minutes against rudy gobert like he's a vertical risk but uh but the answer is no you're telling me some awoke is not swatting it dude (laughs) he's he's injured right now yeah yeah no i hear what you're saying but no, my boy is going to get uh, snapped in half by Rudy Gobert is what's going to happen. <laughs> Salam, I apologize if you listen to this, but uh, it is what it is. Um, I, I think that we roll with what we have. I don't, I, I mean, we we hear about this, right? Like the Warriors, they'll pick up the phone if someone calls, right? But I don't think they're out looking for that. And uh, I think that whatever it would be, like, even if you looked at, like, a trade calculator that showed a reasonable swap out, Lacob's not going to go for that. It would have to be something, like, really imbalanced to make him feel like, oh, okay, hey, that's too hard to say no to. Um, they, just, right. I just, they don't make marginal moves, too, is a thing. Like, what if you can, I don't know, not talking salary-wise, but theoretically someone, I don't know, just, like, that young, he could be useful. Like, what if he's mm-hmm. available and you can get him? Like, that's a marginal move. Warriors aren't going to do that, like. They want a big swing, right? They want a top 10 player if they can get one. And I mean, I don't think you can get one right now. But if someone comes available, they'll go for that. But they're not going to do a midseason. Like, oh, this move helps us a little bit. Like, 
yeah. trade wise at least like well the, the big buzz was the pacers right yeah like uh right miles turner yeah miles turner or even sabonis like what do you to make of that like what would that deal look like and is that something that should be considered if the phone gets picked up and that offer gets made to golden state like what does it look like and what do you do about it i think more i mean i saw more people talking about miles turner than i did you know sabonis um and i I, at least and i don't know much about how trades work but i think most people thought you'd have to give wiseman up for that for him plus I don't know who they were pairing with him, maybe a Moody and and someone else or a, a future, you know, draft pick or something like that. Um, I just didn't think that Miles Turner was the kind of player that Lakeup would give up, you know, Wiseman for. Mm-hmm. Um, I tended to think that it would be a marginal improvement as well uh, to the defense. I mean, I know people said that he's a switchable big and, you know, it's going to make the defense better, which I, my response to that was like, but we're the number one defense and it's already a historic defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but people are like, it'll be even better. You're not dealing with Looney, um, you know? So, I mean, I heard all the pros. I may not be articulating all of them correctly, but I still wasn't really that moved by it. Um, I think the idea too was that he could also help the offense some, Um But yeah, I mean, I wasn't totally really moved by the idea of going after him. I mean, I think the way that I look at it is that the rookies, and I still consider Wiseman a rookie for for, for most purposes. So the rookies to me are taking up roster spots that you don't normally use anyway. Like no no one cares about the 14th and 15th roster spot, right? And so... In theory, like no championship team, you're not worried about that. Even if you have guys, they're usually riding the bench or just chilling. So we're taking them to develop lottery picks. That's a luxury to me, you know? So I don't have a problem with the fact that like that spot isn't being used on a player, but, um, you know, not everyone saw it like that. So that, that, that those were my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And I would just say in general, I think, maybe fans don't necessarily realize how the Warriors, like how much they value like Wiseman and Kaminga and Moody. Like they, they're not moving those guys for someone like Turner or Sabonis. It's not even moving one of those guys for like that level of a player. Cause they just, I think people like realize that. I think the people think that, um, you know, like is a little crazy. Um, and some people think some of it too, is just the fact that like he has a point to prove, right? Because, they invested in him. They don't want to look stupid. You had all the mellow talk, LaMelo. Um, so, and then there's also the people who just subscribe to the theory of like, Steph is here, you go all in right now. And Wiseman is not going to be able to contribute and help for several more years and the timeline and the, you know. And I, I, I think like that to an extent. I just don't feel like we need one through 15 roster spots used like our team right now goes what about 12 deep 12 13 deep Mm -hmm. like and you're not going to be going that deep in the playoffs right but I mean for the regular season we go that deep and so I don't really see the big deal but again you know everyone has different perspectives on this yeah I think it's interesting I mean it's like as fans we love to speculate about roster movement and how like to optimize our chances to to win a title and there is so much talk in the offseason about you know they're got to get buy-in from Steph Clay and Draymond those guys are sitting at the table discussing this you got to maximize that window but it almost feels moot to talk about it because all of the body language that we've seen from those guys is that moving James Wiseman is the furthest thing from their mind like when we lost the plan Steph's walking out in the parking lot wearing a James Wiseman jersey under his jacket. And it's like, you don't do that for a guy that you're like kind of seething and wanting to ship out to like go get a piece that you're not even sure of. And the same, like Clay's like mentoring him or like reading books with him and stuff. And Andre as well. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like, we can talk about it, but we should do so acknowledging that we're not seeing anything at all that suggests that they're sniffing for that. Like 
Right. That was the same thing I used to also say about Andrew Wiggins. I'm like, you guys want him traded, but like they seem to like him. <laughs> you know, Dre yeah, does, for sure. Steph does. Like they're really into two way wigs. So for sure, I, you know, I, that's I a really interesting. That's a really interesting thing to talk about too, because there's been a lot of chatter about wigs being like kind of a loser contract, and uh. I mean, the dude's playing the best basketball of his career. So, like, I know. you look he's back like a borderline all star. Exactly. He, I think he's got like he should be an all star. I'm going to push that Anthony, agenda on Anthony Twitter for sure. Davis, did you see Anthony Davis is going to be out for four weeks now? So yeah, absolutely. That's a you know front court player that's now out. Yep. He really has a chance, I think. So think or back to when Wiggins got that contract in mini and like. What did they expect from him? Did they pay him that amount of money hoping that he would become someone that was statistically leaps and bounds better than he was on the day when they offered him that? Or because if the answer to that is no, and they, they offered him that for them thinking that he was who he was, he's now way better than that statistically. So like, at what point do we stop saying Wiggins contract sucks? Like, no, he's, he's, He's worth the 30 million, like, or I don't know, perks, what's that number? Pull it up for me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think it. people, I think people have toned down because he's been playing better. But the way that I always thought, I was like, look, he's a 20 point scorer in the NBA. He's a wing. He can defend. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he's that overpriced. Like, I don't think you're getting people who can do what he does for that much cheaper, in my opinion. Yeah. Not and now what we're he's seeing more right efficient. Now, he's shooting the three ball at a 42% clip, like, that's unreal. Like that is, is that's higher than Steph, the right? Gravity of Steph. The gravity of Steph. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> I mean, but he said the other day, he said, I've never been more open in my career than yep. I have now, which I think is a remarkable statement to be made. So look, I'm happy for Wiggs. I'm a big fan of him. You know, people tease me on the TL. You may not know, but people do, because I'm always like, my That's baby Wiggins, Andrew, yeah. you know. So I'm always cheering him on. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm happy. I'm happy that, because he looks happy. He's smiling on the court. You're seeing all of this, you know, body language from him that, you know, I don't like to really read too much into the the, the Timberwolves days. But I mean, a lot of things people used to say about him is he doesn't look interested. Body language. You can't say any of that about him on this squad. He looks excited. He wants to win. He's, um, you know, delaying his child's birth to play. I mean, I don't know what more you could ask for in a player. Wherever you land on the whole vaccination thing he put aside his personal views and took the vaccine for the betterment of the team so you know i i feel like he's been a great addition to this team and i'm I'm happy personally i'm super happy with how wiggins is playing me too and this this comment that he's never been more open in his life it's not going to be like it is now forever because it's going to be even more open with in about two weeks or yeah. three weeks like we are we going to see this dude shoot forty five percent from three? Like, is he going to improve, or are we going to see just a gonna regression? Slash his way to like twenty five points. I don't know. Like, it's going to be pretty remarkable. It's going to be wide open for him out there. That's the thing that's been most impressive to me about Wiggins's game that has transformed over time is his consciously bodying dudes inside. Like in Minnesota, he did not play like that. Like, it almost seemed like he. Uh, like tended to avoid contact but now it's like his go-to they're running a ton of plays to like have him cutting inside bodying into someone and coming up for like a little jumper Um, and he seems really comfortable doing that and it's like uh, there's been there's been chatter this year about like where where are we creating our offensive scoring especially inside like who's shooting mid-range who's shooting inside and Wiggins I think is the answer to that and and Poole Right. We saw that like point per possession. Like, yeah. Pool, what is it when Poole dribbles the ball more than seven times? He's like statistically the most likely to make a shot. Is oh, that really? It? Perks? Uh, it's been a couple games, but it was around like 72%. Yeah. I can pull up the stat if you give me a sec. So it's like yeah, essentially like that's fascinating. When, so what yeah. When Poole's creating his own offense, like when he takes the ball and decides that he's going to like dribble to make his own space he's converting into buckets like 
at a higher percentage rate than anyone else on the team. So I kind of attribute that to that, like that quick first step, that lateral step he's got. He does kind of like fake left and then he springs really far right and he creates so much distance between him and his defender and he's coming downhill really fast. Uh, it's really impressive, his, his handle and the way that he does that amazing oh i love that i love pool i love that we have our little pool party um <laughs> slogan for him i love it i love it i love the squad and did you see that interview that um draymond just did with doris burke or i, I should say just did but they just like aired it where he's breaking down a bunch of different defensive possessions did you guys see that i did see that um, it's really cool. And like, you know, at the end, like she kind of asked him a question about, you know, do you think this team has what it takes to contend? And he's like, he gets so excited, like a little kid. And he's just like, you know, Doris, I really think that we do. You know, he's like, I think like, you better believe it, it at the end of the year. And it was, it was just so great to see or perks. You should definitely mm -hmm. check it out. It's, um, it's a really, really good clip. And it's just like, you see his, his IQ, his defensive IQ on display. It was just a great thing to watch. He was just breaking down these plays and Doris looked like a kid in a candy shop just listening to him. It was, it was, it was great stuff. He's really born to do this. And I, of course, aside from basketball. And so once his career is done, it's going to be great to see him up there doing this kind of work. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about these games. Actually, before we do just, you know, I want, you know, we, we're coming off like a high week. Steph finally broke that three-point record. Um, how was that for you guys watching that? Because I actually attended the game. I was in person and um, it was amazing. <laughs> but I, you know, I kind of wonder what it was like for people watching because it's one of the few times like me being on the East Coast benefited me and I got to go in and, and see it happen. It was emotional for me. I don't know if, um, you know, I saw lots of fans saying they teared up or got choked up or just really happy. But what was it like for you guys watching that? Do you want to go first, Bear? Yeah, 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 you go for it, Perks. Um, I mean, it. I think it was just such a testament to like everything Steph done has done in his career, like to reach like that amount of threes. Like I, I've been watching him for. I mean, since he's been in the league, and like to think everything he's gone through, with like not just where the organization used to be and all the injuries, but like I don't know. It. I think it's just so special that Steph is who he is and like what mm. he's achieved. And I think as a fan, like, it's just incredible that we get to be a part of it, you know, especially yeah. with you being at the game. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I love that, like, after the three, they, you know, took the foul and uh, that was a timeout. And, like, him and Draymond shared, like, a, this, like, moment. And then he just, like, went up to every teammate and, like, hugged them or, like, you know, shook hands with them and then had the moment with, like, Ray Allen. Like, it, just the whole kind of... I don't want to say spectacle. I feel like that gives a negative connotation, but just like the whole, I don't know, like yeah. atmosphere, I think, especially it's considering so it wasn't at a home game. So it was electric. The Knicks fans yeah. For, you know, and it's the like they just, paused, they just paused everything as the they should have. The whole arena erupted. Yeah. It, was it was like a amazing. moment bigger than basketball like or like more meaningful than just the game, right? It was like mm. it brought in every moment of training, and like when that Under Armour commercial played up, like with the footage of him as a little kid, like hooping on his little like Fisher Price hoop or whatever, it's just like, man, this guy has been working, working his ass off his whole life for it. And so to see that the league gave him his due respect, uh, it was really cool. I was watching it at home with my kids. Uh, I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And my son, uh, the five-year-old, he, he like doesn't understand all the rules of basketball yet. And we're kind of doing a soft introduction. Like he'll come sit on my lap when I got the game on. And uh, he's learning little things. Like he'll look at the three-point line. He's like, so if they shoot behind the rainbow, that's three points, right? Like It's like he's starting to figure it out. And he's like, oh, and Steph Curry shoots it from behind the rainbow better than anyone. So uh, he's got a Curry jersey. I love that. And some shorts that are like, two years too big for him and he like wears his hat and he's like got his 
he just like walks around in his fit like at home like every day <laughs> like pretending he's a he's a warrior so it's oh. cool it's meaningful to me for sure i watched warriors games with my dad growing up and now my son is doing it with me and you know steph curry is the greatest uh player to ever don a warriors jersey you know i don't i don't get too caught up in it but it's meaningful it, it means something for sure it's important that he's uh and it helps that he's he's like seemingly a great human being too like he's not just a right. great basketball player he's a great person so we're really lucky as warriors fans to be cheering for steph curry that's how yeah. i feel about it so i wish clay was there <laughs> I yeah, know, sure. I know, I know. Especially because he had a Rolex for Clay too. He gave mm. the Rolexes to 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 Dre and Dre, but um, mm. he had he had one for Clay. I'm sure it was hard for Clay not being there. So, oh for um, sure, can't wait to have him back. Do you guys think you know there was a lot of talk because Steph has been slumping a little bit. Um, there was a lot of talk that it was the um, the chasing of the record and it being in his head that was affecting him. There was also some speculation from others that it might be the rotation. Um, and in the Boston game, Kerr seemed to go back to the old rotation. Steph had a great first half, mm -hmm. not a second. So, you know, he still has to like put it all together in a game. Um, or it could just be a slump because he has those from time to time. Um, I think human nature makes us want to assign blame to something that can't always be explained, or it could be a little of all of those things, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But um, what do you think? Are you, do you think the new rotation is back? Do you think now that I subscribe the record to is those, over? I subscribe to both of those theories that Which you one? brought up just now that like chasing the record, I think played a, played a role to some degree. I don't think it changed who he is like moving forward as a basketball player. But I think for a little stretch, there was additional pressure for him to be chucking to try and pull that record. And it was probably unrealistic to think he was going to drop 16 threes. I mean, like I would have never yeah, bet Portland against it. Game. I thought that yeah. was the only game that it was really excessive though. I didn't sure, really sure. think it was out of hand in any other game. And I think it was because he wanted to do it at home for the fans, which I understand. For sure. For sure. And it's like, I wouldn't have bet against it. Cause like, He's done like he's he's dropped what like eleven, like several times with without trying to do that. Like, right. I mean, obviously he tries to make every shot he takes, but like he's I don't think he's ever walked onto a court and been like, I'm going for the record tonight. And so to see that he was maybe doing that intentionally, I was like, I'm not going to be shocked if this fool does this right now. Like, <laughs> I tuned in for sure. I cleared my schedule. I mean, I'm trying to watch all the games anyway. But for that whole day, I was walking around buzzing like this could happen like it felt like a playoff game like walking into it um and then i do think that the rotation is tricky because i i do think there's a chance of stopping him from finding his offensive momentum but it's also hard to argue with when you're winning every damn game but like it's hard to criticize steve kerr maybe we would be winning by more I uh, not know. for me i criticize him all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it is a little harder when you're getting results right like you're like, well, what, how, how strongly can I lean on this when we're still winning? Like, no, not for me. I mean, but I like, you know, I'm not someone who's just like a results oriented person. I'm also not all the way processed either. I'm somewhere in the middle. I think even when you're getting positive results, you have to always look at the process to get there. So um, I just, I knew that like it was going to stay for a while because they were winning, but I just saw how unhappy Steph was with it. He did not like it. And I'm just like, there's no way your star player, your best player can be this upset about something that's going to last forever. So I don't know if it's permanently gone now. I thought like maybe it would get go away once Clay came back, but Boston came and they, they seem to go back to it. So what do you two think? Do you think this, the, the old rotations back or what, what are your think? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I feel like maybe Poole's absence was the reasoning for it. Um, okay. Just because, I mean, I, I don't know necessarily why, but I mean, it's with the Boston game they did that, and then that was the first game Poole missed. So maybe Steve wanted, you know, Steph to find more of a rhythm um, because you're missing a, like, dynamic creator, like Poole to, like, check in for him. And kind of, because, I mean, Poole kind of, not to say, you know, he, he kind of does the Steph role when Steph's not there. Right. He plays a bit yeah. off ball and off uh, on ball. So, like, without him, you're missing that aspect. 
Mm -hmm. So that, maybe that was the reasoning behind that's it. That's a really excellent that. point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That's actually so, the first yeah. thing that came to my mind too. Like when the rotation adjusted, I was like, oh, this is in response to not having Jordan Poole on the court. Um, that they're going back to to what's worked strongly in the past. And, you know, you need offensive firepower at certain times. And with Poole not in the game, and if Steph's sitting, you just don't have it. I mean, that's something we've really struggled with, right? Like, where do we find buckets when hmm. when those guys aren't playing? It was interesting, though, that, like, the second unit played pretty well in Boston, at least in that second quarter. And it, I wasn't mm. – I don't think it was because of their offense. It's because they were so locked in defensively. Yeah. That, like, they were just getting stops. Yeah, I remember I, like, tweeted out some shit when that was happening. I was like, <laughs> I don't like this lineup. And then I was kind of like, but they're, like, plus two over <laughs> four minutes. So, like, I, I mean, as much as I would love for them to make some substitutions here, I was like, there's really no reason to at all because, like, mm. they're, they're not even just treading water. They're, like, they're kind of – taken up some ground too so i guess maybe it's like not the most exciting minutes of basketball to watch but you're like that's exactly what you want from the bench like come in two minutes and you walk up like with a positive after five of rest it's like all right it's it's kind of hey, better than last season when we would dread the second unit coming in oh my like god we, yeah we you're like i hope the, we built up a timeline buffer. with tweet about it like oh no the second unit's coming in oh no yeah, the lead's exactly. gonna vanish <laughs> yeah exactly my yeah. biggest criticism uh, outside of the obvious, like Steph's not finding his momentum is I think that it does create situations where a timeout or a foul doesn't come and Steph gets stuck at the scorer's table. And suddenly like he's coming in with four minutes left in the fourth and you're like, what the fuck? Like that's a problem years, though. Like, yeah, that's, that's been a long time issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think my biggest issue with the new rotation, like I, I, I like the concept of stuff starting and ending quarters. I do. I'm not actually that concerned about the second quarter, to be honest with you, but um, I definitely like him playing more minutes in the fourth. It's just, there will literally be times where like he hits a three or two threes and then it's like, Oh, all right. Time to take your up stuff. For sure. Like, for sure. And I, it, it feels it, very rigid. It, right, it's so rigid, which is a Steve Kerr thing, and it felt really choppy. Like, he is just, like, hitting a rhythm. He's going to break this open. Why are you doing this? You know, I went to – I had the fortune of going to the Philly game, the the New York game, and the Boston game. Um, and in Philly, you know, in that third quarter, they were up 13, and it was going great. And the moment he sat Steph, like – that was it lead blown. And then Philly was like all in their, you know, their, their rhythm. And then they just kind of couldn't get anything going in the fourth, the doves. And so I really thought like, if he hadn't sat step, they may have like broken that game open and, you know, there wouldn't have been any coming back for Philly. So those, that's an example of a time that I thought like being that rigid about, you know, the, the, um, new rotation was a problem but you know whatever at the end of the day they are winning uh I didn't I didn't love that they forfeited the um Raptors game essentially mm -hmm. I know um, punted it <laughs> yeah I know a lot of people felt like they really needed rest um I, I was more so of the concern that like once Jordan got COVID that the cycle was coming to the team and so mm -hmm. I kind of felt like they're not ruled out yet play while you're healthy because the rest is going to come anyway. Cause you guys are going to end up being out for COVID protocols. So I would have preferred that they didn't punt the game, but whatever they did. Um, there were some good takeaways from that though. Right. Like, I mean, Kaminga played good. They didn't lose the game by 50. Like last year, they still scored a hundred points, which I think for them to be missing mm -hmm. so many offensive people, they did that. So there were definitely some positives, a lot of turnovers though. Those were not great. Um, were there any takeaways you guys had from the Raptors game? I mean, I would say my one criticism was that they didn't punt it all the way. Like, I feel like you should have just used it as a development game as soon as you sat mm -hmm. everyone. Like, Moody played 25 minutes. I think he should have played at least 35 like and, like, started. I mean, yeah. Jeff Dowden played 18 minutes. Could have yeah. given him 30 as well. Like, just play all the rookies. Let them get reps. Like, you're not winning anyway. You might as well do that. So, I, I don't like that they – I mean, I don't mind that Juan started, but, like, just start the rookies and let them cook. Like, 
they're gonna lose anyway. Might as well get them reps. So should like, Kaminga be getting more minutes than Juan? I think it should be field based, I mean, which I know Kerr doesn't love doing. But yeah. I feel like if JTA is not playing well, try Kaminga. Kaminga's not playing well, go to JTA. Like I, I, I know they prefer a more like rigid structure to the rotation, but I think they could benefit at least in like the lower levels of the rotation from being a bit more flexible and like playing the hot hand. And I feel like they actually did that at the beginning of the season and have kind of like gone away from that recently. So I like them to return to playing. I'm going to say the answer to that question is yes. And I'm going to preface that by saying I feel kind of bad about it because I like JTA a lot. And I feel bad. I feel bad that he there's not enough minutes available to get him in the game as much. Uh, And that's just the reality of it. And he knows that too, right? But when you think about his game versus Kuminga's game, it's kind of like you think about the reasons why why you might not want them on the floor, and they kind of have similar problems in that they're both turnover prone. Like, yeah, and and so it's not like you play JTA instead of Kuminga and you're less likely to turn the ball over. It's it's probably going to happen in either situation. I mean, Juan Juan is more of a veteran. He's less likely to have like high turnover games. Like it, it's he's had a couple where it's been an issue, but I feel like, I mean, especially Kerr would be more confident putting Juan out there and putting the yeah, ball in his no, hands. I agree. Kuminga. Like one of Kaminga's big things is like he's a great playmaker. He has great court vision, but there will be turnovers. Like he'll make you know the wrong reads or or force something. Seems I feel like, like he those... fits right in then on this team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But I think in those cases, it makes sense. Now, that's why I think it should be more field-based. Like, give Kuminga a chance. You know, if he's locked in defensively, if he's taking advantage, you know, of his athleticism on the offensive end, you know, um, driving and getting buckets, then keep him in. If, you know, he's turning the ball over and taking bad shots, then you pull him and you put one in. And just, you know, mm-hmm. whoever, play the hot hand, whoever's, you know. So he's just been really going. good. And I'm I'm not someone who knows much about, like, draft, you know, draft and who you should pick and you know i let people far smarter than me say like what's right but i just remember people being like really upset about kaminga and just knowing like the warriors were gonna pick him and feeling like oh of course they're gonna pick him and they shouldn't and i feel like i this guy's really good you know i it feels like people had it wrong about him but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you, what do you, you know, I was a Kuminga truther. Like Perks will remember I was blowing up the chat. I was doing yeah. backflips when he fell to that seven spot. Like I couldn't believe it. I don't know. Just his raw potential. Mm. And um, he's just, he can just create like the, the guy like can impose himself against opponents. And he's like, I'm going to get a bucket. Like, like, you're going to have to foul me. Um, right. And he's just so strong and hungry. He's just got a different mindset, man. When he when he fell to seven, I don't know what was a bigger shock, that he fell to seven or that Moses fell to 14. I, I don't know. Moody to 14 for me, I think. We, we walked out like we, we want, I wanted Moody at seven. Opinion. <laughs> yeah, Moody, a lot of people Moody did. over over Kuminga? No, no. I, I'm fully of the opinion that you try to go best player available in yeah. the draft and at the seventh pick, like I know Kaminga's raw and like that, that was one of the knocks on him coming into the draft was like, can mm-hmm. this guy, you know, give you minutes in his first year? Probably not like yeah. he's dealing minutes, which I mean, I feel like he's kind of shown that he can still do some stuff on an NBA court like right now. But For sure. even regardless of that, like he was the best prospect at the seventh pick. Like if you don't trade that pick, you, you take him. Like you don't take a, a lesser player in my opinion. Yeah. At least. I remember when sixth pick went out and they didn't grab him. I immediately felt like that the pick is, is Kaminga. It has to be like, you just can't, you can't leave him there. You can't let him slide. It's like, you couldn't not take him. It seemed so obvious. And I was hyped up. I was like, this guy is going to be a great player at some point. Um, But it made more, it made me question more what's going to be there at 14 because then there was an additional like pressure to be like, we need to find someone who we can get more solid NBA minutes this season. Like we right. need a more impact player in the now. Um, but then Moses like fell to us anyway. So it felt like uh, yeah, just we got Moses away with hasn't it. hasn't been able to like, I mean, I know he's done well in some of the G League games. He hasn't seemed to yet been able to like really get it going. And, and it's probably because he's not getting consistent minutes, but I, I would... 
I know he, he can shoot. I would just like to, you know, see him get it going in a game or two. And maybe he'll have the chance because I definitely think that, unfortunately, I don't want it. And again, I, I'm, I'm very big on not putting things into the universe you don't want. But I am nervous that we will have more players going into protocol. So I'm sure the, the rookies are going to get more more minutes in, in the coming games. Um, so the coming games, we, we do have to talk about that. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, I think with the Kings being depleted, we are too, but you have Steph and Dre. I think, you know, they can still pull out a W in that game. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, none of us know for sure, but no, I what, think do you, they can. what do you guys think? I think they can get a win. Yeah, I mean, I the plan Kings on are... them getting a win. I mean... <laughs> Does anyone plan on not big stepping at the end of the next game? I mean, <laughs> I, I, like I to. love that video. With the remix, too. Remix oh, for sure. Out. Yeah, look for that, Nat. We got uh, <laughs> Man kicked us uh, a little oh, preview oh, of yeah. a d- dubs version of big stepping, which is pretty fire, truthfully. Okay. So, I, I mean, I we still think they should should hopefully be able to beat the Kings. Um, oh, yeah. Despite... I mean, the Kings are, are more undermanned than we are. Like, they're... Yep. I, would have to double check what you know injury reports gonna be, but I would expect them to not have Fox or Mitchell, and that's like two big losses for them. Right. So okay, but now what about the Grizzlies? Because they got um Ja coming back, and the team actually seemed to be playing really well without Ja. I'm not one of those people mm-hmm. who are like, oh, Jaw is hurting the team or anything like that. But I'm just saying, you know, and also the first time we played them, Delon Brooks wasn't um he was hurt he's back too right so he's back in the rotation I think I'm pretty sure maybe I'm wrong but I think they're gonna have Ja back if I'm not mistaken um because he tweeted something like when I get back on I forget what day he said so I thought it was before that game so but even without Ja, they've been playing really well so if the team is as is, because we don't know if there's going to be more protocol announcements before that game, but as is, missing Poole and missing Andrew, how do you guys feel about us going into that game versus the Grizzlies? I mean, I think it's going to be a tough game. Um, I haven't really watched the Grizzlies lately. I know they've been playing well, but I mean, if Jaw's back, he's been he's been a Warriors killer like the last two seasons. Him and like Terry Rozier have like just massacre them every time we play so that and the fact that brooks i think i would have to look at the numbers but i feel like he's held not held but like he's he's defended stuff pretty well um in their matchups it's i think it's gonna be a very tough game he's gotten away um, with a lot of shit but yeah i hear true. you that is that is true brooks does uh like to you know poke the bear the thing about um, Jaws, like I don't really fear him like going off, but like in the in the in the first game of the season, we were up by so much and just let mm-hmm. them come back in the game. It was a lot of carelessness mm-hmm. on the yeah. Warriors' part. I mean, they're gonna definitely have to play a smarter game, but they're missing a lot of offense. I mean, the good thing I suppose are these games are at home, so role players may feed off of that energy a little bit. But where are they gonna get offense from? Yeah. You know, or they're gonna have to really rely on their defense, right? I mean, for those games. Yeah, I mean, it's like, gonna be yeah. defense Go first. Ahead. Yeah, but I, uh, it's gonna be a defense first game because, like, you're missing Wiggins, you're missing Pool. Like, Steph will give you offense, but no one else can really like create that much. Belly can do it a little bit, and Andrew's but... one of our best defenders. Yeah, that's it. But I, I still, I think they're gonna lean on their defense, and I feel like. I wouldn't mind seeing Kaminga get some minutes as well, yeah. like some decent minutes, because I feel like he can give you some offense, right? He yeah, he's athletic, absolutely. he can get inside. So I wouldn't mind that. And plus, he'll get some stuff done defensively as well. So it, it's going to be dependent on Steph, like going off, and hopefully the role players can, you know, play their part. But yeah, I would expect them to really <laughs> lean on their defense. Do you think we can win that game? What do you the think? Memphis game? Uh, I mean, rolling right now. <laughs> I would, I would like us to, but I don't know. It's, it's, that's, I definitely, I think one of our tougher matchups coming up is that one. And then obviously, I mean, obviously, Clay was still game. here, you feel a little bit more comfortable, but without yeah, him, that's course. a small task, right? What do you think, Mads? Memphis shows up 
against the Warriors yeah is the reality and Dylan Brooks specifically has played really well um in the playing really game stand him. and John always gets like <laughs> timey buckets so like yeah he yeah, might not go sure. off but like he's been super clutch especially the playing game like just killed mm-hmm. him so yeah for sure it's gonna be a tough game I feel like uh I'm I'm less worried about like Steven Steven Adams does not mm. strike fear in my heart <laughs> like I don't think um I'm I don't know they're a good team and they're rolling and so Do they of defend course, the three well uh I think they'll close out on Steph I think they won't make it easy for him um, but I mean, like, if it's a game where, like, Otto and Belly have it going, for example, you know, um, are they? Well, that's are tough because a- if Otto and Belly have it going, we're going to beat any team in the league, right? Like, that's how I feel. <laughs> is that a is that a bad take? Uh, <laughs> I feel no, like if those two dudes so, are mean, stroking it, we're going to win. Like, some teams don't defend the three point line yeah. well. So, where where are they right now, ranked offensively and defensively? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know the answer to that. That's okay. Perks, Perks might be able to pull that. Uh, but, I'll uh, look it up I, I know that. Um, and I want to know how they that, are. How are they rebounding as well? I do think that Jaw is going to be back. I expect that, um, I and I would expect that he's going to want to play in that game. Of course, um, but maybe maybe he won't have his flow and rhythm right away because you know he's he's missed some games. And I mean, I, even though obviously it's his team, the team has been playing a certain way well without him. So there's still that level of like maybe a game or two to like reintegrate him back in. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's coming off that knee, right? Like he was supposed to have like a two, a two week recovery timeline or rest period at the end of November. I think it was like the 26th. So I would expect that, um, that he should be back, but yeah, I don't know. And he's probably bought a little additional recovery time because he's in health and safety protocols. So whether that hurts his conditioning overall or if it just like gives him extra time to be game ready, I'm not sure. So um, Memphis is first in rebounding in the league. They're tied with the Bucks. Uh, and also fifth offensive rating and 16th defensive rating. Okay. So they're not great defensively. That's yeah, a middle good thing of the for path. us. I'm surprised that they're rebounding so well. Um, that's surprising to me. Why? I don't know. I just, um, it, I wouldn't have put it on my radar that they were going to like be problematic uh, on the interior. Okay. All right. Well, listen, we still have a little bit more to talk about, but I'm going to stop this first part of the episode and then we'll, 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 we'll start talking some other things, but uh, thank you guys for joining me so far. We're going to keep it going, but I hope my listeners have enjoyed this episode before. As you see, Perks and Meds brings a wealth of knowledge to the show. Um, I, I'm enjoying this conversation so much. So definitely um, stay tuned or tune in for part two of this episode, but um, subscribe to the show. It's available on YouTube. Uh, follow on any streaming platform, Apple Pods, Spotify, wherever you listen to pods, it's available. Rate the show with five stars only. If you have other commentary, you can just uh, DM me with that or hit me. But um, hopefully you're enjoying this and we have more coming up for you. All right, guys, until the next episode, take care.